Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast with Nicolene Peck. Improving your life, uniting your family, changing the world. Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. I'm Nicolene Peck and I'm joined here with my daughter, Paige Baumert. Hi, Paige. Hello. So Paige, today is a really special podcast. It's going to be a little bit longer than normal would be my guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a podcast that we're doing by request. So there have been multiple school administrators as well as parents that have reached out to me and have said, hey, Nicolene, can you talk to us and, and give us something that we can use? Almost like a curriculum. Okay, so I'm giving a curriculum Um, And it's based on a curriculum that I'm writing that everybody's going to be able to have for free. And this curriculum is for parents and for teachers to refer parents to who and and administrators to refer parents to because it's really the administrators of some different um, institutions and, and schools and stuff who've reached out to me for parents who want their children to be able to be free thinking in a world right now where there are just so many ideas that are going on. I mean, they're just bombarding us all over the place and we need to help our children understand um, how to, you know, sort through all of this stuff that's going on, how to be self-governing. Okay. How to stand out and speak up in our day when it seems like sometimes maybe standing out and being different isn't welcome, right? Or maybe it seems like speaking up and saying something that true that's true isn't welcome, but um, how to prepare your children to stand out, speak up using self-government principles um, in our day. And that's what we're going to talk about, but as is tradition. We always have a tradition. We talk about a fun family activity. And this week, our family activity page kind of has something to do with this topic that we're going to be discussing, right? So what's a fun family activity? Yeah, for sure. So the one we want to talk about today was one that we actually use in some teaching um, scenarios. And we do two games. And first we do tug of war, which that is a very simple one, a very classic game, you know, two teams, opposite sides of a rope, tugging against each other to see who can pull the other team over a certain line or over a certain point. And then, so that one, we do that one and we're like, and we usually say, okay, do you feel how tenacious that was? Like there are just tensions everywhere. You're trying to fight against these other people, but then we it's say, war. okay, I mean, it's yeah. a tug of war right? So the point is, it simulates war. That's Mm -hmm. what a tug of war does. Yeah. So then once we kind of discuss the feelings of a tug of war, then we say, okay, now we're going to do a new game. So we take the tug of war rope and we tie it in a knot in a circle. So, um, and then knot is a water knot. It has to be a water knot. It will be strong enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you can look up online how to do those, but then you have all those same people on both teams, put both hands on the rope, all spread out in a circle and then you have them kind of pull back so there's equal pull and equal tension from everyone around the circle you say okay so do you feel that okay and then you have everyone you know you say okay one person drop off and be like okay so how does 
how does that feel when one person stops pulling and, you know, everyone's like jerking around. And so the action of one person affects everyone else in the circle. Um, and then you say, okay, everyone, you know, kind of lean back on it, give everyone some equal pull, equal tension. Now everyone sit down. Now everyone stand up. And so when you're working together with that equal pull and that equal tension, things can happen and people can work together. So they're very opposite activities, but they teach very valuable lessons. Yes. Awesome. Thank you, Paige. So Paige, this is a fun activity we have done with many, many people over the years. And we think that it's a great thing for families to do together to recognize, wow, this is what it feels like when we're pulling and power struggling against each other when we're at war. And this is what it feels like when we're united and we're pulling together. Now, people are coming to me for this training, for this curriculum, because they are worried about war, okay? Not necessarily war between countries, although who knows, that could happen too, but they are worried about just social war, the war that's going on around us. Everybody is fighting over every issue there is. And that's almost bigger than any like actual war that happens. Mm -hmm. Could be even more detrimental, more destructive. Exactly. So, I mean, really, people are saying, how do I prepare my children to not get sucked into this war, but how to also understand where, how they need to see it, what lens they need to view it through. Okay, so everything that we're going to be talking about today, we're going to be sharing with you 12 lessons for teaching children self-government principles that can help them stand out and speak up. And I know this is going to be exciting for you, especially some of you who have followed a lot of my stuff before. I think you're really going to enjoy this. Mm -hmm. Um, So we are going to look through the lens of self-government. So just at the very beginning, in case you are not familiar with any of my stuff, and I highly recommend going to teachingselfgovernment.com and looking me up, okay? (laughs) Look up what I teach, um, listen to other podcasts that we've done, watch videos on YouTube that I've done. There are like hundreds of them. Um, So go and, and find, you know, more information, but I've got books and courses and everything. So find out what is self-government, by the way, there is a great video on it that you could listen to on my YouTube channel or watch on my YouTube channel about what is self-government, but just to be short so that we're on the same page, um, self-government is what page? Self-government is being able to determine the cause and effect of any given situation and possessing a knowledge of your own behaviors so that you can control them. Right. So that means that a person is analyzing themselves regularly. They're deciding what what type of person they should become and becoming the best version of themselves. And then they're also um, course correcting, you know, along the way they're saying, oops, I kind of missed my mark. So how can I fix that? What skill don't I know? Who could I get help from, you know, along the way? So this is what a person does that's self-governing. Now, self-government is usually thought of in terms of government structures. And actually in the United States of America, the founders planned for our country to be a self-governing country, which means that not only is our country in charge of itself, meaning that we have sovereignty, right? Just like every country should have sovereignty, but also 
that every person in the country has a type of sovereignty, that families have a type of sovereignty, that each person can make their own decisions and can plan for you know, their future, that they can say, well, this is, I want a different career. I want to change my socioeconomic status. I want, you know, this type of education when nobody in my family had education before. I am going to go in this direction and that they could have more control over that, that we, we wouldn't be stuck in this class system um, that trapped people that instead people could control themselves, but also it meant they could solve their own problems without the government or bigger figures interfering with their problems all of the time. So this was huge. So how does a person learn self-government? Well, it starts in their family. It starts in that root, that first social unit in society, which is the family. And so these 12 lessons that we're going to be talking about today to help children stand out and speak up through this lens of self-government is going to be what you can do in your family. These are 12 lessons that you can teach in your home, in your family, to help your children learn how to navigate these times. And I'm not going to be telling you exactly what to say and exactly what to do. I'm going to be giving you the principles so that you are empowered to prepare your children properly. Yeah. And we do have some suggestions of things you can do, but they're, they're more to give you ideas of things that you can do that will fit your family the best. Yeah, we're going to give a lot of book recommendations. Yes. I will say that. We're going I, say, to I would a- have a pen and paper for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> have a pen and paper ready and jot down the things that seem the most important to you. But also, just so you know, there is a, an article, a write-up on my website that actually parallels this podcast. So you could go there for some additional information as well. So let's just jump right in, Paige, because we've got 12 lessons to cover in this podcast. We've got a long way to go, but there are so many great things that we can um, talk about here. Mm -hmm. So principle number one, uh, I mean, lesson number one, I almost ruined it. (laughs) What What is lesson number one, Paige? Lesson number one is people who follow principles are happy. So, and this, this is something that people kind of get mixed up a lot. So they, they mix up principles and rules often. And so that's something that we kind of want to touch on just a little bit because we've actually already done multiple podcasts on this topic. So podcast 36, it's actually titled rules versus principles. So that goes into depth on that whole thing. Um, and then there's podcast 60, which is parenting by principle. Um, So that one touches on it as well. But we did want to go over that just a little bit because it's so important because people who follow principles are happy. It's not the same as people who follow rules are happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. And it is true if you notice it. So it could be um, that you follow all kinds of rules from different people, but if they're not based in principle at all, then you just feel manipulated. You feel used. It doesn't feel right to you, Mm -hmm. you know? So um, this is a big thing, but when you are following principle, even if things don't go your way, even if somebody is against you and your principles, you have peace. There's a feeling of security because you know you're living according to true principles. So maybe we should have said people who follow true principles are happy. That would probably be a good way to say it. I guess it just makes sense in our world. That's We talk about truth a lot. So when we say principles, that's what we mean. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, is that people can declare anything a principle, but that doesn't mean it's a true principle. So true principles right. have certain components to them. In fact, that's what I'd like to talk about first is let's just do a quick comparison on rules versus principles. Um, and then just so you know, uh, even though we've already gone into greater detail on these, so we're going to, we're going to go over this really quickly, but at the end of each lesson, there are to do's. Okay. So this is what to do to teach this lesson in your home, which is going to be a lot of fun. So first let's talk about principles. So principles are components of broader truths. They provide direction for us so that we know which way to head toward success and happiness and bonding and all of our goals, usually the, the good goals, right? Um, principles also do not change. This is important to re realize. Well, because if they're rooted in truth, truth doesn't change. Truth just is. Right. It's constant. Exactly. Um, most principles answer the question, what? Right? Like, what is it that I need to focus on? What is that truth. They, they answer the question what. Um, they are not behavior specific. They usually provide basic guidelines for behavior and action. I would say whereas like rules, you know, they are very specific of do's and don'ts, stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to get to rules and applications in just a minute. But if we think of principles are basic guidelines, it's like um, keeping calm. Okay, communicating calmly, that's going to be a principle. Now, how you actually do that, you're going to probably have to create rules for yourself, right? So um, they're, they're basic, they're really overarching, they should be behind all of the rules that we make for ourselves. So anyway, people, a person who governs themselves or lives by principles, actually do a better job of self-governing themselves and they rarely need lots of rules and applications because they just naturally come to them when they really are all in with their principles okay Paige rules how about you explain rules since you were jumping at <laughs> it I was already there <laughs> sorry yes yeah. so rules like you mentioned are applications so their behaviors steps and practices and procedures um, by which the principles that we have are enacted. So like you were saying, you know, people who live by principles have a better job of setting up their own personal rules so that they can live better live those principles. And truthfully, so Paige, people come to me all over the world saying, Nicolene, what are your rules? What are your rules? What are your rules? And you know what I always say? Right. I say, well, here's my principles, okay? Because the rules don't mean anything <laughs> if you don't have the principle behind them. But then right. if you have a good rule that matches your principle, it helps you just follow through with your principle. Yeah, I say like, for example, growing up, we had a principle of honesty. And so our rule was if anyone was lying, then we would have 30 minutes of chores. And that was our rule. But we had uh, decided on that as a family to uphold and maintain our principle that we strove to live by. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so rules, they can change all the time. Like, the, and I know this because let's just think of laws, <laughs> bills, okay? Let's think oh, of government. The yeah, they change rules like daily. There are rules changing. And so basically, you know, we have to look at a rule and say, is there a principle behind this rule or is this just somebody's rule? You know, is there a principle behind, I don't know, always, you know, 
driving on the right-hand side of the road in the United States? Is there a principle behind that? Well, um, there actually is a principle behind that, and that is uh, order, okay? There needs to be some sort of order or organization for safety of the other people, okay? So that, that's the principle <laughs> that's, that's behind that. That's how most people do it in this country. So in order to be safe, we should probably keep it that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. But if somebody said to you, you have to teach somebody how to... I don't know, make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like you have to know how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Do you though? Is there a principle behind that? Not really. That's somebody's arbitrary rule, right? Somebody might say, as a rule, I never wear black shoes. There's there's no principle there. You know, I don't know why someone would come up with that. The principle could be, however, okay, so this family, in this family, we learn life skills. Mm. And the life skill is learning how to feed yourself. So maybe you decide that you're going to learn how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Mm-hmm. There you go. So see, if you can find the, the principle in there worth looking, then you know if, if the rule's a good one, right? And mm-hmm. if it's valuable to you. So uh, most Amen. rules answer the question, how? So how are we going to accomplish the, the what? And by the way, behind the principles is the truth, okay? And that's the why, okay? Why? What's the truth? And then what are, what do we need to focus on? What is the principle that matches that? And then the rules and application is the how. Okay, so now we're going to give you some things you can do and be ready. We're going to share some books and stuff. So this is good. (laughs) Um, But we are going to give you some things that you can do, two things that you can do as far as teaching this lesson goes. And really this whole thing is designed so that a parent could say, okay, I'm going to focus on lesson number one. And then I'm going to focus on lesson number two. And then I'm going to focus on lesson number three. And always you can come back to lessons one and two or whatever, if you want to, but you could go through these lessons in order and, and even just repeat them, adding in, you know, new references and stuff like that, that you might happen to find and have a really strong curriculum, a strong foundation for helping your children. So if they go to school and they hear things there or see things there, that they, they don't agree with, or that you don't agree with that you can help them. You can help them be prepared for that when they're out in the world. And I think this was the thing these parents and administrators were really concerned about, like, Hey, um, you know, what if some of the educational stuff is not something that I agree with, or that we, that we agree with, where can we refer parents so that they can have a, a way to prepare their children for different things that they, you know, might encounter socially or even academically. Okay, so number one is teach the principle of self-government to your children. Talk about what self-government is, how much control they can have over themselves. And if you want more help with that, go to the book, Parenting a House United. It's a book I wrote myself. And if you go to (laughs) chapter one in that book, that first chapter is about self-government. Okay, Mm -hmm. Paige, the second thing, what do they need to do the second thing? So the second thing to do is to tell stories to your children of heroes who have self-government. So we have actually, all growing up, uh, mom, you read a lot of books to me and to uh, my siblings about these wonderful people who showed true self-government and uh, their stories also shared principles, uh, true principles, and how they learned to be happy despite challenging times. 
Mm-hmm. And so reading is part of our, oh that was a part of our family culture, big time. We loved it. Anyway, so we actually have a list of a lot of books. We're going to go through them pretty quick, but these are some ones that we found really embody this principle, learning tr- true principles and being self-governed. Maybe we should say before you list all these books, maybe we should say, um, don't, you don't have to read every one of these to be done with lesson one. No, okay? you could pick one of them. Like if mm-hmm. you, if you just picked the book, Teddy's button, which is short. Okay. This, this would be like the first one we're going to tell you Teddy's button. If you just read that one, that would be good. Um, but if you want to go, if you have older children or you want to go to a deeper level, then obviously we're going to give you some other ones here that you can read, but Teddy's mm-hmm. button should be one that should be applicable to like all ages. It's short, um, a great one for discussing anyway, Paige, but we have tons more, right? We so do. what other ones do we have? And honestly, the list could go on. Okay. The ones yeah. that she's telling you, these are, are just, just the ones scratch. we thought of off the top of our head. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but red scarf girl is a really good one. It is about the cultural revolution in China. And it was written by, it's a true story written by a woman who experienced that uh, Little House on the Prairie. Those were written by Laura Ingalls Wilder. So it's a whole series. Those are amazing. Also true stories. Um, the Hiding Place is the true story of Corey Ten Boom. And it was during the Holocaust. Um, yeah, it was World War II time, Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then you have the Little Maid series. And those are really fun to read, especially if you have, um, you know, young, young women in your home. Um, another one to counteract that is Little Men. <laughs> So if you want to kind of cater that way, but um, another good one is Caddy Woodlawn. That is a wonderful story of a young girl and her kind of journeys and adventures. Yeah. In the the woods and Uh her, and some of the scrapes that she gets into, but also some of the things that she realizes I've got to do this, even though it's a hard thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's a really good one. Another good one is the Oracle sphere. And that is written by Travis pond. It's a relatively new book and it's part of a series. Um, it's fantasy. So if you like fantasy, I tried to pick some fantasy. Yeah. Some different genres, but it it is wholesome fantasy and like wholesome, wholesome. (laughs) And it really is based on principle, which is so nice. I don't like fantasy, but I do like that book. Yeah. So um, another one is Little Women, very classic story of a group of sisters who try to do the right thing during hard times. Uh, Little Britches, which is written by Ralph Moody. This is, uh, I think it's two or three book series. Um, I think also- it might be seven, but we've only oh, seven? ever read oh, okay. three. Just yeah. kidding. There's a lot. <laughs> There's seven, but the Peck family stopped at three. I don't know why. We just never bought the other one. We never finished. I'm but- sure it would have been amazing. We just didn't. But yeah. So it's story format. Also a true story uh, of, you know, this man going through life with and lessons he learned from his father and how he learned to self-govern himself. Um, the Little Princess is another one as well. Great story for that. The Alliance. Um, I'm not sure who this one's written by. It's an older book, but it's the Lund. story. Isn't it Lund? Oh, yeah. It might be Gerald and Lund. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's a story of this group that comes in and takes over like a whole other group of people. And they're kind of tyrannical. Um, but it's, it tells the story of how these people got out of that situation, um, trying to do the right thing and being self-governed. So that was one that I read um, when I was in my mid-teens and I really enjoyed it 
Um, another one is The Lonesome Gods. Uh, that one is a really, really good one. That's Louis L'Amour. Mm-hmm. Um, another good series is The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. So again, another fantasy. But this one is actually one that we consider a classic. Because even though it's not a true story, it has so many uh, applications for true principles and for self-government. So uh, if you think about it, like in The Hobbit, uh, Bilbo goes through many situations where he has to decide to overcome himself and to really self-govern and to make right decisions. Same with Frodo in, Lo- in The Lord of the Rings, uh, has to make lots of decisions based on what he knows to be right, good, and true, which we'll get mm-hmm. to in a minute too. And it's um, a, he has, he. I mean, both of them go through the hero's journey, just classic yeah. hero's journey. And, and same with these next ones. Yep. And so the next ones are the Narnia books written by C.S. Lewis, who is a fantastic author. And he talks about true principles in almost everything he writes. So if you want to kind of branch off and get some books for that are more, you know, geared toward adults, you can look at some of his other things as well. Mm, um, yeah. Oh, C.S. that's Lewis my favorite. Fantastic. But each of his Narnia books, so like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, Prince Caspian, you know, all of those different things, they incorporate so many different examples of living true principles and learning how to self-govern. And so those are all things that you read to us um, as younger children, you know, and some as we got older, but those really helped us to analyze those different situations and analyze what these characters could have done, you know, or, you know, were doing to govern themselves and to find truth in their Mm -hmm. life. And so we didn't necessarily have to be in the situation ourselves, but by reading these really awesome, inspiring stories, we were able to um, develop our analytical mind and be able to take those situations later on in life and apply them to ourselves. Mm-hmm. I just thought of another one, another book that we should probably add in because it's literally all about self-government and that is The Sign of the Beaver. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, The Sign of the Beaver, great one. I mean, a boy has to exi- exist on his own, you know, out in the wilderness and how he does it and the principles that he lives by, um, that would be a good one too. Okay, so that is number one. Our first lesson that you're going to want to teach is People who follow true principles are happy. If you read them these stories, you'll be able to see and identify. Listen, when they are living according to these true principles, life may be hard sometimes, but they seem to have still joy. They have hope. They seem to have peace in their hearts, even though there's all these scary goblins around them or whatever happens to be, you know, going on around them. All right, let's move on to lesson two. So lesson two is to maintain identity and honor. Okay. Maintain identity and honor. Now I'll tell you what, if there is one word that people just say all the time nowadays, it's identity, identity, Uh, honor is not actually, it's it's almost a very touchy topic. Well, I would say, but we're definitely not taking that angle. So identity um, is a really important thing for a person. Okay. Massively important. And I'm sure that's why people are just talking about like crazy all the time. Um, But the thing is, I think we're missing our mark on that particular conversation, because if you look at what identity really means, okay, it means um, who are you really? Okay, so if you're going to be teaching your child um, and helping them come to their identity, which, by the way, if you don't, someone else will. Okay, so identity is formed in the home. It's formed at mother's knee, at father's knee. That's where identity is formed. If you don't teach it, 
then somebody else is going to be teaching it for you because everyone's looking for it at the end of the day. That's it. What's all this about? Who am I? Where am I going? What's going on here? Right? So once you, you find that, who are you? Okay. Then you say to yourself, okay, who are they? Right. And they need to know who are you, who's mom and dad, and who are they themselves too. And we're focusing here on self-evident truths, not uh, things like passions and likes and preferences and stuff like that. So what are the self-evident truths that we can focus on for who we are? So, well, okay, well, I'm a, I'm a girl. So what does that mean to be a girl, right? And, and I'm not talking about social things. I'm talking about what truly is the power of a woman right? And, and a girl. And what does it mean to, to live as a good woman, right? And then um, I say another one is like, I am a daughter. Yeah, a daughter. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Um, or we could take the male route. I'm a boy, I'm a man, right? And yeah. then there's, and then there's, I'm uh, a mother, too, and a father, and a daughter, and a grandmother, and a, I mean, fill in the blank, each new role that happens because of this self-evident thing called, oh, I got married, so I'm a spouse, right, I'm a, I'm a wife, okay, I'm a husband, okay, now I had a child, so now I'm a mother, or I'm a father, and my child is what, right, and they're a sibling to each other, these different stewardships, these different roles that we have, um, if we don't take some time to truly understand them and what it means to live according to that, we're missing out on a key piece of our identity. In fact, um, we just think of everything as revolving around us instead of us being a key player in a story that involves a lot of other people and their roles too. So it's very different. I think where people miss the mark is thinking that identity is formed in, in what they like. I mean, I like chocolate, but I am not chocolate. I could, I could even call myself a chocolate lover, but that's not really, that's not my power as a person. Mm -mm. My power to bond with my children has nothing to do with chocolate. My power to bond with my husband has nothing to do with chocolate or roller skating or archery or you know, hunting or sports or whatever, you know, I mean, it's anything like just because I like toast and I make toast every morning, that doesn't mean I'm a toaster. I am a, you know, a person and these are all self-evident things. So we just need to remember that um, when we're pushing, when we're saying, well, I am an airplane pilot. Well, you might be, but is that really um, who you are to the people who love you around you? Is that really who you are? So anyway, important things there preferences behaviors those are not our identity our identities are self-evident and they lead us to what our roles can be in the family yeah, so my so mom oh sorry okay. go ahead <laughs> as you say so you know that kind of touches on what we were just talking about already so like you know identity i am a daughter i am a sister i am a mother and those are roles Mm -hmm. but I know you have a story. So go ahead and share your story. Yeah. Yeah. So my mom, when I was little, and I know I, I sang the same little song to you Paige, and to all my children. But when I was little, my mom taught me that I was a child of God, that all people were a child of God. And that when I was young, she sang me this sweet little song all the time called, I am a child of God. And it was just so sweet. And I sang it to my children too. And they always wanted me to sing it before bed and stuff. Anytime I was afraid, I would think I am a child of God. And I would think this little song, you know, in my head, because my mom taught me that really important part of my identity. Okay. That I am a child of God. 
that's huge because that means that I have a relationship with someone who is infinitely more powerful than me and anybody else. And actually he loves me and cares about me. So that means I have a power source, like in my pocket, like in my family, it's like, I, you know, my heavenly father, you in know, God, part. that's what, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so this was a key, you know, self-evident thing. It was like, well, Hey, where'd I come from? Well, I came from, you know, him. So that must be, you know, my self-evident identity as well. Okay. So anyway, it's important to know that it's important to understand roles. Um, there is a book about roles that I've written. It's called Roles, The Secret to Family Business and Social Success. It's a very fast read. It's even on Audible. Okay. It's in story format. Yeah. It's a story format of a family who's having some contention, addiction, dysfunction because they don't know their roles. And, and they fix that by learning their roles. And you see them go through the process of getting an understanding of roles. So I'm not going to talk about all of it here, but I will just say um, you can find that book and that's super helpful. So let's talk a little bit about history when we talk about our identity. Okay. You know, sometimes Paige, we can look at our history, things that have happened to us and we can decide that, oh, well, I, you know, I got abused as a child or I, which I did not. I'm just saying that could happen to somebody. My parents were great in that regard. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. So I could say, you know, well, I, I experienced abuse or I had a car accident and I, you know, broke my, like my leg is decapitated, whatever. Okay. Anything that could happen to us. Um, but that doesn't necessarily become our value and who we really are. That's not our real identity. It's something that happened to us. And so I think, you know, sometimes we get stuck. We need to remember um, that you are you, no matter what happened to you in the past. And I think that's a key thing. So the past can inspire us forward. It can, we can say, okay, well, that was a bad minute. So now what do I do with that? Am I going to let it hang on to me forever or not? Or am I going to make a different choice to move me in a better direction? It can inspire us forward, but it can also hold us back if we, if we allow it to, and so um, I say a lot of it is about mindset, too, because like if you think about someone who maybe loses their leg and has to have a prosthetic, then, you know, I've seen many and heard of many stories of all these people who, you know, they get into these, you know, Ironman marathons and stuff, but they have like a prosthetic leg. But I've also heard stories of people who have similar things happen to them and they just might mope and whine and just kind of wallow in their own self-pity because like, oh, my gosh, this happened to me. I'm done. My life is over. And so mm-hmm. it's all about, okay, am I going to, I'm broken. To- I'm a right. broken person. Yeah, yeah. Which no one like, that's not really true. <laughs> no, but you've just, you've gone through something that has changed your situation. And so are you going to use that to inspire you and move you forward and push through hard times? Or are you going to use it as a crutch and an excuse to not go anywhere in life? I keep hearing this term broken where people will say, well, I'm broken. And usually they're talking about, um, you know, maybe mental illness or whatever it is. And I'm thinking, well, is there anybody who's not broken? I mean, I broke my back and I have herniated discs and I have all good. Is there anybody who's not broken? We all have our different things, you know? And so declaring us broken suggests that, that somehow somebody messed up on, on making us somehow we're not okay and we can't make it through and have a good, happy life. And I think it's a lie that sometimes, you know, maybe is an excuse instead of saying we're broken to me, you know, what I do is I say, 
you know, what did I learn from breaking my back and having this life of pain? Who am I, you know, because of it? What strengths have I gained because of it? I think looking on the optimistic side of our struggles is always the better way, even if the struggles go on for a lifetime or for years. Mm -hmm. And I've certainly met people who, like you said, Paige, handle situations both ways. All right. So maintain identity and honor. So if you understand who you really are, you need to honor it. Okay. And you need to honor the identity of other people too, which means the word honor means dignity or exalted rank, distinction, reverence, true nobleness of mind, and and many other things. There's a lot of definitions for honor, but those are some basic ones that we can utilize. So that means you need to live your life with dignity, recognizing that you're important, right? And don't lower yourself in any way. Um, When you know who you truly are, you have reverence for your identity, where you came from, your parents, your people around you. Um, So if you think if you have a child who is not reverencing his family, um, his parents, if they're pushing against their parents, then you know that they probably don't honor themselves or their parents, right? So um, it's really important to recognize, I loved the true nobleness of mind because I felt like when a person has honor or, or lives in an honorable way and maintains honor, then what they do is they maintain a mindset that is like my mother taught me, right? When I was young with her little song that, you know, I am that important, to a being that is bigger than me. I am that important. And so I can carry that with me that I'm his daughter, you know? And, and so it doesn't matter what happens to me in life, or if I had good parents or bad parents, I could always carry that. It reminds me of, you know, the movie or the story of Mulan, because the Chinese culture is actually very big on honor. And so when I think back to that story, I'm like, you know, this, this girl went into battle in place of her father because she respects her father and she respects and reverences the person that he helped make her to be. And she knew that she could step up and honor his role as her father by taking his place and ensuring that he would still be around to be that father figure for their family. And mm-hmm. I thought, I think that's a really, really good example of honor because she put, she put others before herself. She was being very selfless. And because of that, she knew who she was. She knew who she was capable or what she was capable of. And because of that, she made the very hard decision to take her father's place. Yeah. And, and ironically in the story, they're like, oh no, she's dishonoring the family because she went and do, <laughs> did this. Um, when in reality, in her mind, it was, was total honor. Mm-hmm. It was total honor. So, which just goes to show, we don't always know where people are coming from, <laughs> but we do need to honor ourselves and our families. And one way that we do that is by honoring our family's standards. So when you're maintaining your identity um, and your and you're honoring who you are and who your family is, Um, then you've got to create um, a a way to live, right? So your standards are the way that you live to make sure you maintain that honor for yourself and your family, that you don't get sucked in to other people's ways just because they're popular, but you deliberately decide how does my family behave with each other? So 
That family standard is huge. In fact, um, in the book, House United, a, well, Parenting a House United, every time we say House United, that means Parenting a House United. It's just a We're just so name. used to short, shortening it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So um, chapter 15 is all about family standards. So I'm not going to go into all the details there, but um, but you can definitely read chapter 15 and you can get gain some help there. Okay, so We've already pretty much told you the to-dos here on lesson number two. So in lesson number two, talk about roles, read the roles book and discuss. There's another book that we're putting as an optional read too, which is to read the book, The Dream Giver and discuss. Now, not all children are going to be ready for The Dream Giver. Okay? It's more for like people in their teens. I'd probably mm -hmm. say 12 and up. Mm -hmm. Absolutely 12 and up um, on the dream giver. But anyway, it would be also a great one to discuss roles and discuss identity and honoring, um, yourself and your identity and your family bonds. Um, the second to do is identify your family standards that you want to live by. That's important. So go to chapter 15 and, you know, get the ideas that I share there and see what you want to do with those. Yeah. Those are really good ones. I really like the dream giver. It was a really good inspiration for me growing up and kind of helped me learn how to look for my purpose in life mm -hmm. and figure out who I was and what I needed to be. Well, and this is a huge so. thing is identity leads to purpose. So mm -hmm. Because once you know who you are, then you know mm -hmm. what you need to do. Exactly. So these standards are going to help you maintain your identity, basically. They don't give you identity. So please keep that in mind when you have a family standard and you say, okay, well, in our family, we don't watch rated R movies. That, that doesn't give you an identity. That maintains your identity of what type of a family you've already decided that you are. And individually, likewise. So um, please come up with standards. It would be things like language standards, TV standards, all that kind of stuff. Um, there's more Lots of options that I give there. Don't have time to go into yeah. all Again, of them. chapter 15 of House United. You're going to find it all there. <laughs> yes. Okay, let's go on to lesson three. London, I'm not London. <laughs> I'm Paige, just so my you know. My goodness. Okay, <laughs> let's talk about lesson three. Paige, yeah, my other child. What is lesson three? <laughs> so lesson three is to examine your heart. So um, when it comes to this, we all have freedom to choose who we want to follow and what we want to follow and give allegiance to. So when it comes to choices, that's really what we're choosing. You know, when it comes to agency, we're choosing what and who we're going to follow. And so we can either choose to one, give our allegiance to goodness or to God or to two, uh, give allegiance to evil three, give allegiance to ourselves or four, give allegiance to mm -hmm. others. So it just kind of depends, like, you know, what, what is the desire of your heart? Um, where, where do you feel like you need to be going? My guess um, is, Paige, that people so, that hear this are going to say, well, I desire to do good, right? Because guess what? Most people mm -hmm. do. I say most, most people, people do. do, but they, yeah. they, what they don't necessarily do is make their plan fit their desire. But before we can get to the plan, <laughs> we have to say, what is the real desire of your heart? You've got to know what that is so that you can push off all the other stuff. So many things lead to self. What about you do you, right? You be the mm -hmm. real you. You would, what is that? That's all self, self, self. And yeah. like, 
you know, and like, oh, I, I want to be popular. I've got to dress a certain way of it. That's all self. That's all self. Well, others. others actually is when you, um, what, I mean, yes, but also no, because when I think of others, I think of others as, um, okay, so I'm going to find all my purpose in life by turning over everything to others. So that means I'm going to tell other, let other people tell me what to do. I'm going to let other people, you know, control me. I'm going to be, this is the, this is that definition of passive. That's not good. Like you embrace being that victim of whatever's happening around you because other people know more. You don't trust yourself. Right. So always, always doing whatever other people want you to do. Even if you might have a hunch, it might not be the right or the good thing. You know, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. This, this is where this is where a lot of people get stuck in abusive situations. They're not yeah. the person being abused isn't evil. They just feel compelled to have an allegiance to this other person that's an abuser, maybe for self-preservation or whatever, you know, they don't but but they have been convinced that they have to please the other person. Yeah, but so when we when we examine our heart, you know, some of the questions that we have to ask are okay, what is our definition of good? And then with that, you say, how does that definition relate to the actual real meaning of good? Because some people can have it skewed. You know, some people might say that a good thing is whatever helps them get closer to their objective. Or, you know, a good thing is whatever helps them progress in life and do better financially or, what or they like. whatever it is maybe like right. i like pornography it must be good like no yeah that doesn't, no, that's not I'm the not definition really. so. of good so what is the <laughs> definition of good see the real definition of good is something like things or people that are godlike and mm-hmm. uh, people and things that have high moral qualities that is the real mm-hmm. definition of good so let's talk about uh, what we can do to ex- teach the children to examine their hearts. Okay. So teach them about moral agency to choose, teach them that they can choose their allegiance and who they want to follow, teach them what it really means to be good and follow good. Okay. Having high moral qualities and doing things that are godlike really is what it really means to be good. And the second thing that you can do is teach them the difference between good and bad, right and wrong, and true and false. Those are three different concepts that there's good and bad. Concept two, there's right and wrong. Concept three, there's true and false. But so they're all what, related. They're related to each other. Absolutely. But they are different because something might be true, right? So for instance, when we have a truth, we know that it's not going to bend and it's going to be, you know, something that we can hold to no matter what. Okay, you can teach this good, bad, right, wrong, true, and false using stories. Okay, there's some great stories. Paige, what types of stories can you think of? So, in fact, a lot of stories that I learned this from for right and wrong, I know we read Peter Rabbit. And that was one where, like, okay, so you know, he's, he's not a bad bunny. He's just doing the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. And so that was a good one. Another one was a little red riding hood for good and bad. You know, there's obviously this bad wolf who preys on this innocent little girl. Um, And so, you know, those are things that help to teach good and bad and then true and false. One story that I loved was the little boy who cried wolf. 
So story of a boy who decides he's going to play a joke on the people in the town and cry wolf, 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 when really there wasn't a wolf. And then he did it a third time and they didn't believe him because he had lied two times before. Um, and so another one is the three little pigs for true and false. And then of course, Aesop's fables are just amazing at teaching these principles of right and wrong, good and bad and true and false. We love Aesop's fables. Oh boy, they are so amazing. And I'm sure we'll be referring to them again later because they are so good. Great ways to learn. Also, all of the different Peter Rabbit books actually get into moral uh, morals like right, wrong, good, bad, true, and false, just so you know, because there's a whole series there by Beatrix Potter that you can use as well. But looking into some of these old historic stories, usually you find morals that can help a person examine their own heart. So remember, what is the desire of your heart? Who do you desire to follow or give your allegiance to? What do you want most? Teach your children how to identify that so that they can stay true to it no matter what dialogue is going on around them. Let's go on to lesson four. So lesson four is you turn your heart to goodness and away from selfishness. Now this builds on lesson three. So selfishness is a really common problem that we see around us where everybody is thinking about themselves, what they want, what they think makes them feel good or whatever, and what their body looks best in craves or, you know, fill in the blank. Everything is about the self and we just can't ever get enough. When you're trying to satisfy the self, you're never, ever going to be done. I mean, you're always going to just going to be satisfying one craving after another, after another. And when people are selfish, they treat each other like objects. This is the problem. So we get objectification, we get exploitation of other people and things just for our own sake. So that's super important that we understand what it looks like, how common it is, and that needs to be explained to our children. So what can we do? We need to turn the heart to goodness and truth. We just spent some time talking about goodness, talking about truth, but the way that we turn the heart toward goodness and truth is by regularly you know, immersing ourselves in this goodness and truth. So we've got to dive into goodness every single day. So Paige, what are some ways that we can dive into goodness every single day? So this is something that we did often. We had what we called a morning canon, and we would take the time to study our core books that uh, helped with our core beliefs. For us, we're a very religious family. And so we had religious books as our core books. And that helped to teach us, you know, right and wrong and help to form and stabilize our, and maintain our core beliefs. And so that was something really, really big. And then again, with a lot of the books that we've mentioned, using those to learn about these good people and these amazing people who have done wonderful good things and see how we can apply it to ourselves. And so that was how we did it. And I know for you as a parent, you really became a student of truth and you deliberately took time Uh, out of your day sometimes you'd wake up a whole lot earlier than we did and you just take the time to study and to make correlations and you still do this all the time Uh, you're always reading always studying always making connections always writing notes you have notebooks and notebooks and notebooks full of notes and (laughs) full of all these things I know I'm a little bit worried when I die people are gonna be what do we do I'm like don't you dare burn them (laughs) that's my mom's brain (laughs) yeah So, but you, you have truly become a student of truth. And because of that, we actually learned to follow your example. And so 
um, it's, it's actually been interesting for us, you know, for me going through college and learning how to do deep study when I was younger, it's, it was hard. I remember my first couple semesters, I called you up. I'm like, mom, how do I do this? No, (laughs) I'm like, I'm trying to go like deep into this and I'm getting so many ahas, but I'm falling behind in class. And I'm like, like, oh, Paige, sorry. (laughs) Hate to tell you this, but everything at the college is surface. I know. And it it bugged me so bad for the first little bit. So heads up if you're homeschooling it, but it's it's okay. Just teach the right way. But, (laughs) but it's, it was really interesting to see that, you know, I had really followed in the footsteps and the things that you and dad had taught us about becoming students of truth instead of just students of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Because knowledge is great, but truth and basing your knowledge in truth is so good. And it actually helps with um, turning away from selfishness and mm-hmm. becoming more selfless. So that was something that was very inspiring for me and helped me a lot growing up with, with that. And so now, you know, this is something that you'll compare with other studies to with your core book and you make a standard of truth. So something that you uh, reference to, you've got to have a core mm -hmm. because if you have not, if you don't have a reference, then you don't really have a stable way to compare what you're learning. Yeah. So what is your standard of truth? And, and it's not usually just, well, I made it up myself. What is your standard of truth? And then you've got to compare everything else to it. So how are we going to do this? We've got two to-dos for you. Number one, Paige already mentioned, immerse yourself in truth-seeking. This is you as the parent. It makes a difference in the lives of your children, okay? And then talk with them about the things that you find. Share your ahas with them. The second thing you can do is set a goal to search core books and discuss every single day as a family. Now, if you're already doing this, just get more intentional about it, more deliberate, love it more, and then move on to lesson five. So what is lesson five, Paige? Lesson five is making a house united. So a lot of people, I don't think they necessarily dive too deep into the word unity or being united. So unity has to happen at home and it has to happen before any type of social unity can even happen because if there isn't unity at home, then there will not be any social unity. Like, at well, all. yeah, because the family is the first social unit of society, right? So if we have unity at our house, then we can have unity in our society. Um, unity heals people. Unity empowers people. If you want your children to feel strong so that they can stand out, speak up, then they need to have a base of unity behind them. Well, that's now, I why know- so many people, like they make organizations or all these different, you know, political campaigns or whatever, and it, it empowers them. And so, you know, sometimes you run into issues where they might be a little too empowered, but... <laughs> Um, but it's because of that unity that they feel with those people that they're in a group with that they have that power and they, they feel so empowered to do things. It gives strength. So what happens if your family falls apart? What happens to the strength of all the people in the family who are trying to stand for some sort of truth, parents and children together, it, it, you lose power, you lose power. It fractures. You're not able to do what it is that you feel like you would like to do or need to do to make the world a better place. You just bottom out. You know, um, 
really hard situation. So families have got to get on the same page. I know there's many people thinking, okay, I'd love to have unity, but my spouse and I are not on the same page with so many things. My children are believing all these things that are happening on social media and not believing me. Like, what do I do? How do I combat this? This is huge. Um, this is actually a question I answer all the time on my teaching self-government support group. I know it's a big issue that parents are facing. Um, and so, and I can't go into all of that here just due to time, but one thing that you start with is creating a vision. You make a plan. Where is our family going? So the, the plan for unity includes a vision. This is a look into the future. And I talk about this in my course, my teaching self-government course, or my book, Parenting House United. There's a format for how to go through that vision. So create a vision and then communication. Okay. So you have to say, how are we going to communicate with each other? How are we going to instruct each other, correct each other, stuff like that? How are we going to handle our problem solving? How are we going to correct problems when they occur? These are the key pieces to creating a good family unity plan. So the family who wants a house united has got to be deliberately planning ahead of time, not waiting for everything to occur before, before they get there. And really, this is what people come to me for is for this type of planning. So I have so much in that particular category that I can share with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you want to know a little bit more, um, it's actually chapter seven in the House United book that talks all about how to create a family vision um, and kind of step-by-step for that. So that's that's one of our to-dos is to make a family vision for you and your family, uh, depending on how old your family is, either for 10 years or 20 years in the future also to talk about what united family feels like and what a united family does. And so that actually brings us right into point number six, which is how to communicate effectively. This is our sixth lesson. And so communication is a very big part of creating that vision, but you have to have a plan for how you will communicate with people. And Good so communication has a certain kind of a tone and a certain kind of a structure, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it involves lots of different things. So obviously preparation is big part of that, but that preparation comes in forms of skills. So learning skills to help you in your communication, having a specific meetings that you have set up ahead of time and that you have a specific time for, and also correcting and praising each other. So especially when it comes to parents and children, um, having those necessary corrections to help keep them on the right path and keep them going where, you know, towards that family vision um, and then praise, praising those good things that they do. But that that helps them to analyze their behavior, which is one of the biggest things of self-government in general is having that analysis of situations. So being able to determine the cause and effect, you know, and possessing knowledge of their own behaviors. One of the products that we have on hand with teaching self-government is actually perfect for this. It's called the popular parenting method. So there's a little book and uh, audio of this in some of the courses that are offered on teachingselfgovernment.com. So the TSG parenting course is a really, really good one uh, that takes you step-by-step through that plus loads of other things. But the popular parenting methods talks about four different styles of communication And I think those are very, very important to know because then you can analyze how you're being communicated with, especially when people are trying to persuade you to join their group or trying to persuade people to think a certain way, which happens all the time in, you know, all sorts of areas of life. And so you have to know how people communicate so that you can analyze how you're being communicated with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's huge. 
so popular parenting methods is going to be big. There's a lot of other things there. We talked about skills. We have four children's books that each teach the four basic skills of self-government, which is going to be huge. And we have you know, courses and books that will teach you how to have the meetings, how to do corrections with your children. So this lesson, lesson number six, is going to require a little bit more study on your part as a parent. How do you want to correct your children? If you want, if you don't want to do it my way, that's fine. But make a plan that makes sure that it's calm, it's firm, it's direct, it's predictable, it is not power struggling with the child. If you need words to help you along with that and to help you create a really effective correction and to have good meetings and then you know to know the skills your children need as opposed to just getting caught up in rules all the time because skills go back to principle usually um, if they're really good and we have four basic ones that we teach that take care of 99% of most behaviors you're going to want to look those up and you can find all of that stuff on the website teachingselfgovernment.com um I mean, there are key things in some of these skills, like for all of the social stuff that's happening right now, I mean, what if we could learn how to drop the subject, which is part of accepting a no answer? Or what if you really understood calmness, which is a key step in multiple of the skills? What does it mean to have a calm face, voice, and body? And how do you get to that place? So for some of the do's for this lesson number six that we're on, the first do is watch the Calm Parenting Toolkit videos. Okay, this is going to be a perfect place for you to start. Um, so if you go to teachingselfgovernment.com, right on the homepage, there is a link to the free Calm Parenting Toolkit. It's a great place to get started. Um, also, step number two or do number two is study the necessary self-government skills and the meeting formats and stuff like that that can be found in the books or if you're you know, into a course where you can see things and get more hands-on, then there's courses as well. Also, do number three is practice effective communication by role-playing common scenarios. So when you learn these skills or when you learn, okay, this is how we're going to praise each other, let's practice it then so that we get good at it and don't fall back into old habits. Okay, so let's move on to lesson seven. Lesson seven is to learn and listen teaching discernment. Okay, so in order to really be able to stand strong, no matter what kind of ideologies are swirling around or emotions happen to be out there that are trying to capture people, it is a really important skill to be able to have discernment. So The first part of learning discernment and teaching someone discernment is to be able to identify trusted leaders to seek inspiration from. So trusted leaders are usually parents, okay, and grandparents, um, and oftentimes core books, sometimes There are spiritual leaders that a person could look up to, especially we need to make sure that we look to and identify that spiritual voice of discernment that helps us really know what things are true and not true. So, and as you're listening and learning from these trusted leaders, trusted sources, be sure to listen with your mind, but also listen with your heart because you learn truth through your heart and your mind. And usually it it's simultaneous. So one thing to teach children when you're teaching them how to discern is teach them that the heart and the mind should agree. 
with each other when you have found a truth. We have to teach our children the differences between those kinds of things. And the best way to do that is by telling stories to the children. So the first do that we want to do in this lesson is tell the children stories of times when you followed wise counsel or promptings that you've had and what it felt like. And also what the thought, what thoughts you had as well. So the second thing that we need to do in this lesson is talk about truths and values that they already know and how they can follow those truths and values in daily life and then role play that. So maybe you would say, okay, well, here's a situation, right? Somebody has just said this about your faith or somebody has just said this about a truth that you know is true. Maybe it's about something that has to do with a family member, somebody stating something that you know is not true. How are you going to talk to them about that? Well, first off, what can you identify, right? And then what are you going to do about it. So this brings us into lesson number eight. So Paige, what is lesson number eight? Number eight is following instructions and asking for direction. So this one could seem like a no-brainer. It could also seem like, what? Why is this in there? But it's because after you discern what is truth and what needs to happen, then a person has to follow an instruction or they might need more information about what they've discerned. I know for me, once I've, you know, discerned that something is truth, maybe I don't know a whole lot about it. And so I go to a trusted source, just like uh, we talked about at number seven. And I say, hey, so this is something I've learned about or that I'm learning about. I don't know a whole lot about it. Can you inform me? What, what is your opinion on this? Or what have you learned about this that could add to my knowledge? And that has been very, very helpful for me, especially as I do find things and people that I can trust more than others when it comes to their opinion and their knowledge. Yeah. So basically we're talking about here, you've got to follow the instructions from the trusted leaders, right? right. When you find a truth, you've got to, they're going to give you instruction. Those truths are going to lead you to take action and you've got to follow those instructions. But then like Paige is saying, you may feel a desire to follow an instruction, but not necessarily feel like you have all the information you need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then yeah. you've got to ask good questions. But then there's times like when you have people that maybe aren't what you would call trusted leaders, but say your employer, for example, says, I need you to do this. And you have reservations about that because maybe you don't support what they're asking you to do or something like that. And so what I would do is we would use what we call the disagreeing appropriately model. So disagreeing appropriately is one of the four basic skills that we share and we teach. Need to list those four basic yeah, skills. Yeah, for sure. So it's the fourth one. The first one is following instructions. Second is accepting no answers and criticism. The third is accepting consequences. And the fourth is disagreeing appropriately. So um, disagreeing appropriately it is, it follows the principle of seek to understand then to be understood. And so it basically looks like this. If I were talking to you, mom is my employer, I'd be like, Hey, I understand that this is something you told me to do and that it's something that you feel needs to be done for the company. However, this is not something that I support. And, um, you know, I know it still needs to get done, but would it be okay if I maybe asked 
someone else to do it instead. And so you, you try to understand this other person um, while still asking the right questions um, and doing what needs to be done in a very respectful manner. And so, and this is important when, and like even just for yourself, disagreeing appropriately with yourself in your own mindset, because you have to have an unbiased mindset a lot of times mm -hmm. to figure out what is truth and what is opinion. Right. So the process that you go through is basically like this. So you say, this is where they're at. And then you ask yourself, how does this compare to my core beliefs and truths that I already know? So you already have some basic foundational things. You're building on that all the time. But how does where they're at compare to that or what they want me to do compare to that? Then you research their research. You research their opinion or where they're at. And you also research your research, okay, where you're at. You got to cross-reference. Well, yeah, you got to try to really come to understanding. That doesn't mean you have to look into it deep enough that you're like, I need to see everything exactly like them. There are some people who cannot hold their line when they research somebody else's things. They just mold to everything all the time. And if you're that kind of person, you know, and then you're going to have to make a special plan for you doing research because otherwise you get controlled by everybody. Um, but after you've done your research on your side of things, on their side of things, then you listen to them, okay, and you discern, okay, and you form then more questions as you learn. So the whole idea of this whole process is to see what is not seen, okay? Yeah, or to like so, read between the lines. That's really what discerning is, seeing, mm -hmm. seeing deeper than the surface level issue or topic. Right, exactly. And when we're asking for direction from people, um, or we're asking for more information from people than what we're doing is we're saying, hey, we want to see more. But what, the important thing now we just kind of brushed over following instructions like, oh, that first skill is following instructions. But it's really important to know that that first of the four basic skills following instructions is really important because a person who is focusing on discerning truth and coming to a real knowledge of what's true or not is really um, at heart, a person who wants to follow good instruction, right? So when you're listening and learning, you're wanting to follow through. So you find the right leader, then you follow through with the stuff they're saying. And when you follow through with those things, that's when you realize sometimes you've got to counter some other things that are going on. When you follow an instruction, this is a state of calmness. There are five steps to this skill. And in this skill, you you acknowledge the role of the other person, you maintain calmness, you decide that you're okay with following whatever that instruction is, and then you even report back to that person. So this is, you know, a diligence type of a skill that a person absolutely find strength in. And so when they're willing to follow through with anything, then also when you're disagreeing appropriately with someone, because maybe they're not doing the same thing as you, right? Um, then that person has even more respect for you because you usually are a person who follows good things. You follow instruction from good people. But again, you know, you, you could get instructions from bad people. And that's why that discernment is so important. So sure. I've, got to, I've got to just explain to you, as we're talking about seeing what is not seen, I've got to just share a quick little story. So the other day, 
I just happened to get a notification, a notification from someone I didn't even know, which I guess means Twitter was pushing it at me. Um, but it was a Twitter notification that some lady tweeted and she's like, I am so frustrated that at my church, um, the women don't get equal talk time in our church service, you know, and basically saying it was run by men. I thought it was interesting. Number one, it was Father's Day. So I thought, well, does that have anything to do with it? Okay, so I'm looking, right? I'm asking questions. Does that have anything to do with it? And then um, I thought to myself, it seems like she wants people to get emotional with her, right? She wants people to be like down with men and up with women. She wants people to sympathize. Yeah. Yeah. And, and who knows? I wasn't at her church. I don't know what they said or what they did or who was doing what. Um, but I, I thought to myself, this is really interesting that she would just go on and she would, you know, go on Twitter or whatever. And she would gripe about this. I thought it was even more interesting that Twitter would pass it around. I'm like, are they trying to start wars? Like I'm not even following this woman anyway. And so, um, but you know, it occurred to me that this woman was maybe myopic. So meaning that she can only see one thing, right? And so you have to be so careful because maybe she, you know, only has one issue on her mind, like women and equality and, or maybe even equity, which those two things are very different from each other. Maybe she felt like, you know, I have to see the same. I, if the, if the women and the men don't do exactly the same, then I'm not going to be okay. Right. That's a myopic view. And I thought to myself, you know, did she even hear the message? You know, um, did, what, what did they even speak about? (laughs) Right. Why didn't she talk about that? Or, um, did she get any kind of, like, hey, I'd like to do that. Or, you know, I, I'm going to make a goal for that in my life, like no inspiration whatsoever. And I thought, see what happens when a person gets one tract or myopic on something, then they, they can't even see the truth after that, like their discernment completely disappears. And anyway, so, you know, I obviously didn't say anything back to her, no, no point in starting wars, because that's where she was coming from. And I wasn't there anyway. But I did feel like, you know, she should be asking more questions of herself when she feels herself getting frustrated. Well, I think that I think the thing is, I know, you know, I think the thing is that people don't even think to ask questions when they're caught up emotionally in some issue that they feel like has wronged them. And so that's another thing, too, you have to kind of look at it from an unbiased logical perspective and just be like, okay, you know, all emotions aside, what's really going on here? Well, and see, that's the thing is to analyze yourself and say, I'm having emotions right now. Are these emotions I can trust? Are they going to leave me to thrive or are they going to make me feel like I'm hopeless and I'm having a bad time and everything else, you know? I mean, we do need to analyze that. I also just thought to myself, does she know the skill accepting a no answer? Because you don't, everywhere you go, you don't get to have everything your way, right? So because I know the skill accepting a no answer, I know I don't have to have my way all the time. If I go somewhere and the speaker is boring, then the speaker is boring. Or if I go somewhere and you know, then I can say to myself, do I want to stay? Do I not want to stay? But if I'm going to stay, then I just go, okay, well, how about I find the best out of it? I'll just get the best out of it, the best I can. Yeah. Well, those things are like no answers, right? You have to be able to accept no answers. If the speaker's boring, you can't just take that personally. It's not something they can change really. 
you know and so you well, just, i mean it's yeah, okay yeah it's judgment anyway of the other person i thought well is this lady that's making this comment is she judging it kind of seems like she's just judging and you know where's her responsibility in all of it so i do ask a lot of questions i try to teach my children to ask a lot of questions too and see what is not seen so that they're not trapped in just every new emotional thing that comes out because i think that's the thing is people just get emotional so in order to accept a no answer you look at the situation or the person you keep a calm face voice and body you say okay or you disagree appropriately about it if you can and, that, and then you just drop the subject. So sometimes it's like, well, that's where they're at. Okay, fine. I, you know, I'm not going to say anything about it. I'm going to drop the subject. So I accepted the no answer that, you know, she felt that way and was probably promoting something that would just lead other people to be more contentious and judgmental. But she should have also, I think, accepted the no answer that, you know, that church service that day didn't go quite like she wanted to. I mean, she doesn't, who says she gets to have control? I mean, there's just too many questions you could ask there, you know, and when I shared that little post that had popped up on my phone to London and Porter, London says, she's like, why does she get to control church? Like, or, or why, you know, who does, who does she think she is, you know? And again, I don't even know what church she goes to nothing, but, but still the point is, you know, it's interesting that there's a lot of grievances, but not a lot of understanding. It doesn't seem like, or accepting that no answer mm -hmm. and especially dropping that subject. So um, here's a do do. Number one is learn the four basic skills of communication. Okay. So they are following instructions, accepting no answers and criticism, accepting consequences and disagreeing appropriately that we've been talking about some of those and how important that those are for um, being able to ask the right questions. And you can find all of those in my courses, in my books, and we even have children's books. One of them, one children's book that teaches each skill. There's a set of four, which is really fun. The second do is read current events and analyze them from a non-biased perspective and see what is seen and what is not seen. This is super eye-opening. And it will lead to your children learning how to formulate good questions in their mind and asking for more assistance from you. So you are a trusted source for them or should be if you're their parents. So then what that means is they need to learn how to ask for more directions from you. And lots of that asking starts with a question, right? Asking questions sure. about something else and then you can give that direction that they need. All right, so let's talk about number nine. Lesson number nine, Paige, what's that? Lesson number nine, fight lies, not people, which is so important because lies are untruths that are presented as truth. And those are always something that we want to get rid of. Don't quarrel or make war, you know, and this is something that we learn primarily in home life and through parenting, especially more and more nowadays. I hear families say, you know, my kids, they just fight all the time. Or maybe my husband and I, we, we quarrel every now and then. You can tell that they're dissatisfied with their family life mm -hmm. because of all the, all the fights that happen. But a lot of it is because they're not based in true principles. And so they're fighting over things that don't even necessarily matter just because they're coming from a place that isn't meaningful. 
Yeah. So we need to remember that people can be guided or led down wrong paths or right paths. Because remember their allegiance, they can choose to follow certain things if they want to. And everyone's looking for truth all the time, but sometimes they don't find it and they make a mistake. I mean, that can happen. So there's all kinds of lies that people could, you know, buy into. Well, just because a person believes something that you don't believe, like let's just, you know, bring up any social issue that we might have today. Just because a person believes something that you don't believe as related to some social issue does not mean that the person is bad. And we've got to make sure that we keep that very clear in our minds. Okay. So let's not make war. War starts, you know, in the smallest groups in the one-to-one and then it spreads and spreads and spreads. It's It's a disease. And if we are having war in our families, then we will have war everywhere, which also means if we are not fighting in our families, guess what happens to the society around us? There becomes more peace and security. So super important when people are power struggling with each other or they are whining. These are all lies. Okay. And a lot of the things are, are, are reactions, like our little emotional reactions that we have are oftentimes also based on an assumption, a misconception, sometimes even a manipulation. And those are all words that say the same thing, lie, assumption, misconception, manipulation. Those all mean that possibly we don't know the truth in that particular situation and we're guessing or we're being controlled in some way or another. So what we need to do is make sure that we put our focus back on the truth. We need to see the truth and in push away all of the lies. So if somebody is trying to make war at us and they are power struggling at us, then we check ourselves and we see if we're calm. We find our calmness. We choose our words carefully. We think we love you. And we say the truth with compassion. Even though a person may be on a completely different page with us, we can still state the truth, but we don't have to do it in a warlike manner because we don't have to fight the people. The people can change. The people can learn. We can change. We can learn too. If you've been fighting a lot, just remember that about yourself. If you've been power struggling, manipulating a lot, with a spouse or a child or a neighbor or a friend or online or whatever, just remember, you don't have to stay in that particular situation. So one of our four basic skills is going to help us with this too. And this is disagree appropriately. So disagreeing appropriately brings in the element of diplomacy because it's all about seeking to understand than to be understood. And so you are choosing to govern your tongue, to choose the words to say and the way that you want to say them to the person. So when you disagree appropriately, you look at the person and you keep a calm face, voice, and body. You say that you understand their point of view. You share your point of view. You listen to what they have to say and then you say, okay, and drop the subject. So this is a really great skill. In fact, it's a life-changing skill that a person, you know, has. In fact, this is a skill I learn in every single venue of my life that I am part of. Like when I go work with any other leaders, I am using this skill all the time. So my father used to say, master your mother tongue and you will make a mark upon the world that will be noticed. So that's the whole idea here is 
when you learn the words to say, and you don't just use those same old ones you've been saying for a long time that are just emotional, and they don't actually really get you understood or help you get your point across, then you're going to have less impact. But if you want a good impact, then you've got to master your mother tongue, which oftentimes means giving yourself a new script to say. So if when you're correcting the children, you're getting emotional and angry and stuff like that, then you might be actually starting a war. So you might need words to say. So there's definitely resources for that. You know, go and check out the Teaching Self-Government course or books or those kinds of things. Okay, um, so let's do the do's. Okay, Paige, what are the do's for fight lies, not people? So do number one, discuss making your home free from war and why corrections need to happen. So especially you as the parent, you need to explain to your kids why it's so important that you do correct their behavior because that's really important in helping them learn how to process and analyze and make good decisions. And so then number two is teach the children how to correct with love and use those corrections daily. So the biggest way you can teach them this is through their corrections you give them yourself. Um, if they're a little older, maybe they're moved out, then it looks a little different and you might have to actually like teach them. But when you are, when you lovingly correct your children, then they start to see the difference between how they're corrected and how their friends are corrected. Uh, that's how it happened with me. I learned a lot about loving correction by watching my friends versus, and, and their relationship with their parents versus my relationship with my parents. So a lot was learned there. Yeah, um, I remember that. I remember you bringing that up. And, and really just you using a certain model teaches them the model mm-hmm. that they need. I mean, you can, like you said, describe it. In fact, I did describe it to you guys. I taught you the exact steps so that you could even, you know, practice it better and know it better. But um, sure. if you're using it, it makes all the difference. Yeah. Yeah. So that was how I learned a lot. Um, number three is disagree. do disagree appropriately role plays related to current events or current social issues. Um, so I know when I got, when I got old enough to uh, like start getting jobs and be employed, um, my parents would kind of pull me aside and they would just say, okay, so you know, if something like this were to happen with your new boss, how would you handle it? Um, And so me, of course, growing up with these skills, it wasn't very hard for me to realize that, oh, this is the skill I need to use here. And then we would practice it. And it was actually really, really helpful to help me analyze and be prepared for situations at work. But this also Mm. works well with siblings and teaching your children how to interact with one another. Oh, absolutely. So disagree appropriately works for siblings, for children and parents, for children and grandparents, for parents and grandparents, for neighbors and parents, for everybody. Disagree appropriately is just one of those life skills that you absolutely need. But if you understand disagree appropriately, then when you've got a friend or somebody on social media that's attacking your page or whatever it is that you really need to talk to about an issue, you can approach it with that disagree appropriately mindset and it makes all the difference and you don't end up getting emotionally invested it doesn't hurt you or take away your energy or those kinds of things some of those 
conversations can have power over us to control us. So we've got to be really careful about that. So role play it with your children so that they're prepared so that at the end of the conversation, they can say, I did the best I could. I said the best I could. And I, I can't control everybody else's opinion. You know, ultimately they get to make their own, you know, choice about that issue or whatever. And I can make mine and feel like I'm okay too. It's a survival skill, you know, that they need to be able to survive these times where this is war. I mean, we're, there's a time, we're in a time of sadly some civil war that's happening. Yeah. And it's not physical. It is very much mental and emotional war. So Mm -hmm. we have to be able to prepare our children for that. But um, that one leads right in to number 10 our lesson 10, which is stand upon your own feet or work. Work is a very valuable skill. It's something that you have to have in order to, you know, learn and put into practice the four basic skills and everything else that we do share. Um, Something that we love to do and that everyone should do is to teach your children that every person is rewarded for their own labor. And so uh, this is something that I learned early on in life. We have a family garden. We live on about a half acre of land and we, um, we have crops growing from most of it. And so you know, we spent a lot of time out in the yard working and it was not my favorite time. <laughs> I will oh, say that. I'll be honest. <laughs> I know it's your, one of your favorite places and one of your favorite times, but I don't share that with you. So, <laughs> um, but we learned that everyone is rewarded for what they do. So, and some really awesome stories that we read while I was growing up that um, exemplify this is like the tortoise and the hare. So if you remember in that story, the tortoise, you know, slow and steady wins the race. Um, He kept plodding along and doing his work while the tortoise said, you know, I'm just going to do a bit here and then I'm going to take a nap. I'll be able to catch up. It's fine. And so he ended up losing because he didn't put the work in. He just did what he thought was easy and what he thought he could do to get by. And he got his reward. He he lost the race. Um, Another good story is the little red hen if you haven't heard of this story it is probably one of my favorites growing up it's about this little red hen who wants to make some bread or a pie or something and um she's like okay who's gonna help me you know who's gonna help me grow the wheat to make this bread and not i says the cat not i says the goose not i says the pig then i'll do it myself said the little red hen Anyway, that's probably one of my favorite quotes from the whole book. But she does this throughout the whole process of making this bread from scratch. And so once the bread comes out of the oven, she says, who's going to help me eat the bread? Oh, you know, I will, said the cat. I will, said the goose. I will, said the pig. And she's like, excuse me, you didn't put any work into helping make this bread. There's no way I'm going to let you have any. And so it was, it's a great story of showing that you have to put in the work to see the results that you want. You can't expect things to just be given to you on a silver platter. I remember that there was a time when I was little, when I read that book and I had to like reckon with it. Like, is she being mean <laughs> or is that the way it should be? You know, and I had to really ask myself, is it mean to not give those other, I mean, they want, they're hungry. They want food too, but then they're also I like thought, lounging about and playing yeah, golf, they're playing and, golf yeah. and whatever. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. In the little book, it's really fun. But 
but the point is, no, they're not being mean. And I think nowadays, probably there's some people that would say, oh, that little red hen is just so mean because she doesn't so give. Selfish. And, you know, those people don't want to do that work, so they shouldn't have to, you know. But, but it, there's a principle there that she's teaching that you get the fruits of your labors. So if you don't do any labors, you're going to end up stuck with an empty belly, right? And, and that's an entitled disposition as well. Yeah, because they really were. Yeah, like if you look back on history, like, you know, biblical times and all these things, they're very entitled people lived off of the work of the poor people. And so they didn't do any of the work themselves, yet they lived lavishly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in some cultures, in some uh, time periods. But it's, it's really interesting to see that and to see that, okay, these people who works worked for years and years and years and years they still died poor people even though you know so they really didn't get what they they weren't really rewarded for their labor um at least by the world's standards mm-hmm. yeah absolutely so i mean honestly work is so vital it's just mm-hmm. so important to teach there's another little book that you could read the little engine that could i don't know if you remember that but him trying trying pushing working harder i can do this i can do this over the mountain and then he does it you know and he is able to do this nice thing for all the little children over in the next town that didn't have any toys or treats or whatever it is mm-hmm. it, but the point is look how hard you know it takes how much mental effort is required to work sometimes and i think that's worth a discussion with our children too this isn't a bad thing it's a good thing in the end there's good from it you feel happy even if nobody else noticed you can feel happy um, because you know that you accomplished something so teaching children to to work is so important because if they can't learn to put in the work that they need to then they're going to just be sucked into everything that happens around them honestly i don't know it's true and it'll be hard for them to provide for future families. I know there've been times I've fallen into ruts. Um, I have like a small, uh, cell phone business and I've fallen into ruts where I just don't want to do anything with it. But if I don't do anything with it, then we have no income from that area of our lives, you Mm -hmm. know? And so money's a little tight and I'm like, okay, fine. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I have to get out of the rut. I have to overcome my laziness. So I have to self-govern myself and put the work in but it's it's so amazing because once I get over that mental block of ugh, it's going to take so much work and I actually start doing it I find that it's so rewarding and so satisfying and those are the best rewards that you can have just the feeling that you know you accomplished something okay so you're talking about getting past that mental place where you don't want to do it and really for our children to get past that place we absolutely have to think of work as good. So often we say, let's do this hard work and then, you know, and then we won't have to do it anymore. Then we'll, we like set it up, then there'll be some reward or something. Um, but I think sometimes what we, we could be doing is saying the work's the bad part, right? And I know it can feel hard sometimes, but what if we decided this work is actually awesome? This work is beneficial. This work doesn't hurt us. This work is fine. What if we actually decided that within ourselves? What if we decided the work of parenting was okay? We weren't going to complain. Then maybe the children would not complain about the work of learning from the parent either. 
right? Yeah. So our example does make a big difference. That doesn't mean there can't be rewards after work time. There can be, <laughs> but just the way that you phrase work, you know, if something, it can't always be negative. Work can't be a bad thing. Work is one of the recipes of freedom, a free society works. Well, it's just, and it's a part of life. And so that's actually something that's one of our do's that we want to share with you is like, do daily chores, you know, have your family do chores around the house. Um, family work and projects, you know, like I mentioned, working in the garden, that was a big family project for us every year, you know, we prepare every the gardens. day. Well, yeah, that too. But <laughs> no, but, but I mean, like it was an everyday thing. We had to do it every day. Yeah. Every day, every year. And so, you know, towards the beginning of the season, we'd have to weed each garden bed, prepare the dirt. Then we'd have to plant the seeds Then we would have to take care of those areas, make sure everything got watered you know, continue the weeding process because the weeds are never gone and <laughs> ever. <laughs> they thrive. They're so they happy. Do, yeah. <laughs> happy dirt, happy weeds. But we always had projects and, um, you know, the garden was a consistent one, but um, there were times when, you know, we needed to do home remodel projects. And so I remember one year for Christmas, we all decided that we were going to renovate the kitchen. And so we did, we ripped out all the flooring ourselves. We put in all the new flooring ourselves. We repainted and refinished the cupboards ourselves. Um, it was, it was a big process. We had, you know, our, our refrigerator was in the family room, just chilling, you know, while we did all sorts of stuff. Um, but it really brought us close together. It taught us a whole lot of new skills um, and stuff like that. And so, and, Another point is my dad would take us to work with him when we were, you know, younger, uh, not too terribly young because he's a plumber. So <laughs> we have to be old enough, but that's how I learned how easy it was to unclog a sink drain, you know? And so I do that all the time. And I did that in all the places I lived on, you know, my service mission and stuff like that. And it was so helpful. Um, but really taking your children along for the ride with you on the things you do is a great way to teach them how to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so agreed. So oh, not ahead. only, not only should children have daily chores and should parents put that together, but you should also have family work and family projects that you're doing on a regular basis. So don't be afraid of work. Just do lots of it. The more work that you do, the more confidence your children have. Yeah. So that's one of our do's. Another one is read those stories. Read Tortoise and the Hare. Read Little Red Hen. Read The Little Engine That Could. Discuss those stories. And if you can think of any others, do those too. But things that show that work is beneficial. Mm -hmm. And I would say for those daily chores, you know, a lot of parents will give out allowances. We hardly, I think we did that for a couple months one time. And mm -hmm. I realized that as we worked without monetary compensation for the good of the family, we learned valuable lessons, um, which actually leads into our next lesson, lesson 11, serve others no matter what. And so with those daily chores, we learned that we could serve the family and not expect a monetary reward for that job. Our reward was seeing that our family was thriving in a better space. Yeah, I love that. In fact, that was a big thing for me um, because I felt like that my children needed to see that they were part of a group, not getting something from a group. Mm -hmm. That's totally different. And I think so, that really changed our mindset about those chores. 
Yeah, absolutely. So we just worked together. We just got it done. And then we moved on with our day. And, you know, that's just what we did. So service is awesome. Doing chores with the family can absolutely teach teach service. Um, There are many other things, however, though, that can teach service. We are never truly happy when we only look out for ourselves. So we need to remember that all good leaders serve. Leadership is about service. I mean, I don't think you could really call yourself a true leader if you aren't serving in some way. You know, all the people that we look up to as leaders are usually supposed to be public servants if they're not (laughs) public servants already. Like that's usually what we hope they are going to be. But um, the the leaders that make the most difference in, in the world are the ones that get their hands dirty too and that think of their their job or their leadership role as basically a call to action. So Jennifer Cleveland said, service is love in action. So when a leader loves his people or her people, then they take action by giving service. So parents can set the example of service by choosing to love serving their family, to love serving other people. So we need to remember how important our example is to our children if they're going to reach out to others and do kind things for each other it's because it's going to be part of our atmosphere at home you could have a little service jar where people put oh so and so served me or you could have um you know doing secret acts for people like (laughs) random acts of those are really fun i like those (laughs) yeah little little things like that where people just serve and love each other and it's unanimous no not unanimous Anonymous. Anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> it could be unanimous. You never know. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. That's the wrong word. I almost didn't say it. And then I'm like, no, I feel like that's, no, that's not the right word. It was close. Very close. <laughs> mm-hmm. So anyway, it could be anonymous. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's talk about the do's for lesson number 11. So when you're teaching lesson number 11, the first do is study inspiring people from history who led a life of service and discussed those people such as Gandhi, Mother Teresa, George Washington, Corey Ten Boom, and you know, et cetera, it goes on and on. But there are so many people who have done great things in the history of the world. And, and maybe it's not just one great thing, but it's a, a serious life of service in history. We need to look at those people and say, okay, what really makes them tick? How did they serve? What, what was their attitude towards service? You know, um, I, I always think how George Washington just felt like, I mean, it was, it was a labor. It was so hard not to see his family, to be away from Mount Vernon and everything else with all the things that he did, but he just felt he had to for his country, for his people. He felt compelled. It was like he knew he had to be the one to step into leadership right then. Even though it was so hard for him. Yeah. And he gave his whole life. Shortly after he stopped serving as president, he like died. Mm -hmm. He gave his whole life in service to other people. Really amazing. And so like these people, you see them as leaders because of the good that they do. Like a lot of people talk about all these people that were technically leaders of countries, but how awful they were. Like Henry VIII, everyone knows he's awful and he just didn't do good things. And, or, you know, Hitler, you know, he was a leader of a people, but he was not a good leader. And Let's so just you call them tyrants. 
yeah, that works. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But you can see the difference in Mm -hmm. people that, you know, these historic people that are looked up to and revered. It's because they put other people above themselves and as they didn't care about themselves. I mean, I shouldn't say that they did, but you know what I mean? Well, in general, they didn't live the principle of caring. Right. They didn't, they lived the principle of self. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that made a big difference. Yeah, it was their, their whole their mindset. Plan. They had a service mindset, which actually our do number two is develop a service mindset. Um, and this is actually something that I have tried to do. Um, for the last little while, I, every time I'm driving down the freeway, uh, whenever I'm going somewhere, I'm subconsciously, you know, looking for cars on the side of the road that might need help, um, or have their hazards on, you know, just, just to double check. Cause like I carry jumper cables in my car and that's usually a main problem. Um, or some people have been stranded for a couple of hours and they don't have someone to contact, you know? And so I'm always looking for ways, um, when I'm on the go to help people and to, give them some sort of, you know, comfort and assistance. And so Mm -hmm. that's just something that I started doing a while ago because I did it once because I felt like I should. And it was a really big blessing for those people. So I'm just going to keep a lookout for all those people um, who might need help. So, but that's great. Yeah. So that's more of the spontaneous, um, you know, acts of service, but Mm -hmm. something that you should do is, you know, plan, plan a family service project, for, you know, the upcoming week or maybe a goal that you want to accomplish for the month. Um, Because service can be planned. It doesn't have to always be spontaneous. I like the spontaneous ones, though. They're more fun. But (laughs) Well, it depends on your personality. Some people are like, no, spontaneous does not work, right, for me. But but if you're more of a planned out person, then just say, okay, well, you know what? This week, what are we going to do? Who are we going to serve? How can we help someone that we know or love, Mm -hmm. right? And so brainstorm a little bit as a family and just start that mindset going. Your children will fall in in love with service and it's this so is true. so important for them because as they go throughout this world of people worrying about self 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 they can be a counter to that culture and they can think of serving other people instead and that is tr- one of the languages of love yeah. is real true service all right let's talk about lesson number 12 lesson number 12 is doubt not fear not Yeah. So this is kind of like the crowning uh, lesson of everything we're trying to share today, because this is, these lessons are how we teach our children to stand out and to speak up and to not be afraid. Um, I think the biggest thing is if they are focusing on truth and true principles, then they can be confident in everything that they share and they know that it's the truth. And so if they know hundred percent, that is the truth they have no reason to be scared of what other people think or what other people say. Mm-hmm. Honestly, every single thing that we have been talking about up to this point is absolutely focused toward creating a person who is secure, who's grounded, who can communicate, who is confident and stable and connected in with power sources, people they, they can, you know, draw in for support and help and connection like family and that kind of thing. And this means that they don't have to doubt 
themselves. They don't have to be pulled into these power struggles where people will try to attack the things that you believe. They can fear not. They can rest secure because they know that they have a a knowledge of true things that they can trust the sources of those things. They've, they've got good discernment. They've got good ways to communicate it if they don't get along. I mean, this is called being mature. Okay. And a leader. Mm-hmm. Like we just talked about leaders and all those people we talked about, they were not scared about whatever, what other people thought or said to them. Like take Gandhi when he saw that something was wrong. He like went on a hunger strike and people were like, eat food. You know, you're being stupid. Um, and you know, all these people rose up against them. Uh, Corey Ten Boom, she was part of the Holocaust. So all these people rose up against her, you know, the Nazis and she ended up going to a concentration camp, but she still stood for what she knew to be true. And she was blessed for it. Yeah. She, what a strong, strong woman. I just love that woman. When a person is, has decided I will give my life to goodness in the world. I will give my life to standing for truth in the world. That person has so much power, so much strength. They're always so inspiring to me. Um, And honestly, people I seek to be like, I seek to be like those types of strong people who do good and spread good. Society always tries to tear down those who stand for truths. Mm -hmm. That's just how it is. And so we have to prepare them so that they won't always sway by other people's opinion or they won't care too much about, oh, do they like me? Do they not like me? But they will say, I love them. I love all of them. But if they don't like the truth that needs to be said, I cannot take that personally. It's not my truth. The truth is bigger than me. I found it. And I have to honor it because I found it. It serves me. Truth serves all of us. Mm-hmm. And so we have to honor it too. So important. Yeah. So if so, we, if truth serves us, then we have to serve truth. Yeah. So back to disagree appropriately. We've talked about it so many times. Multiple during times this, now, yeah. Yeah. During this podcast, but disagreeing appropriately really is like the secret sauce too for a child. Um, Mm -hmm. to learn to speak up and be understood. Also family meetings. So in the teaching self-government parenting course, we talk about three different types of meetings that we have during the week that help the child take ownership of themselves, where they're headed, their goals, their um, relationships and stuff like that. And And this also is kind of secret sauce for helping them be understood. Because if a person is in a habit of discussing things a lot in a really diplomatic, understanding, loving way and getting to a good result in the end, wow, they are going to be set up for the future to be able to fear not and to speak up and to stand out as needed, but not have to start a war. I think that's the thing is that when you really are on truth's side, Um, you are not trying to hurt other people. That's the important thing. When you're on truth side, sometimes you have to do some hard things that need to be done, but the goal is never dominance or hurting other people. That's when we always fall off. um, That's when truth gets skewed into, you know, dominance or self-preservation or something like that. Yeah. So we need to teach our children that being liked by friends, being popular does not bring peace. When that's not truth. 
It's not truth. Absolutely. It's only truth that brings peace, aligning ourselves with truth that brings peace. That's the only thing that can do it. Um, so oftentimes people don't stand out and speak up because they're worried about fitting in and they're worried about being liked by other people. And we need to remember that um, being liked actually leads to grief usually. Uh, I mean, okay, wait, that's not said exactly <laughs> right. So we're being it isn't liked, permanent lasting happiness. Yeah, well, so here's the thing is we might feel like, yay, I'm liked by people. That's good. I wanted friends. But if we are going for being liked, overstanding for the principles we know to be true, we will have conflict inside. So that's why there will be grief. Okay. Yeah, and uh, we're not, not saying because I mean I'm I'm liked by plenty of people, and I don't. But have you're also disliked by a lot of people. <laughs> but I know there are some people who don't like me, and I can take that too. It's okay. Um, I can't. Yeah. I I won't change. I won't go back on truths I know just because somebody doesn't agree with it. Well, yeah, it's because you stand up for who who you are and what you know to be true that because you don't conform to society people see you as a rebel or you know someone who stirs up trouble well okay maybe not a rebel but you know someone someone who who stirs the pot or you know makes society less gullible which okay society leaders don't like at all yeah i wouldn't normally identify with rebel or stirs the pot but i will (laughs) say those are words i use no that's fine but actually but the but what you're saying is a person who questions a person who brings things to light that other people might not be seeing a person yes. who follow blindly. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm open-minded, but not a blind follower won't do it. Right. So okay. that is, um, that is definitely how I have tried to be trying to follow the example really of just other great people who I've seen go before me who have had incredible um, bravery and fortitude and just dedication to preserving true principles and truth that really do set people free. So that's where I'm at um, with all the things that I do. And at the end of the day, if, if I can make friends doing it, it's wonderful. But if not, that doesn't mean that I've done anything wrong. And I know that. So we have to teach our children that sometimes when we don't get the friend we want, that's also a no answer. We have to accept and it's okay. You know, that's a thing too. So we've got some do's here for you. Okay. Three do's. Do number one, set the example of standing out by living intentionally yourself. And discuss your intentional living with the children. So make plans with knowledge so that you know why you're making those plans. And then discuss those plans and how you're going to see them out with the children. Then number two, have regular meetings as a family. Remember the meetings are part of the secret sauce. Okay. Yeah, no, I've actually seen this happen a lot with my husband. um, Because one of the meetings that we share about doing is the couples meeting. And so since we don't have like a whole family yet, you know, that's the one that we do the most. And when we have those regular meetings, we are not questioning what's going to be happening during the week. You know, we're on the same page when it comes to things, because lately we've had to make some um, 
some really big choices as far as lifestyle goes, you know, where to live, um, when to start a family, stuff like that. And so as we've been able to have those meetings, we've been able to be on the same page and we have brought forward different concerns that we have had and we've, you know, discussed it and talked about it. But in the end, even if we may have differing opinions, we always come out at the end of our meeting with a game plan, you know, Mm -hmm. something that we know we're going to do something that we both agree on Um, whether we met in the middle, you know, and compromised a little bit on some things or whether, you know, we agreed to one thing or another, but Mm -hmm. we're both on the same page and it creates so much unity. And I have no fear that, you know, my husband's going to go off and do something different because, Mm -hmm. you know, we didn't talk about that. And when we do talk about those things, you know, we stick pretty close to the plan, but it just, it, it's so much nicer to know that I don't have to be afraid that he's going to do something that we didn't talk about or that may set us back financially or, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And that's the power of the discussion. So even though you guys aren't always on the same page with every single thing, you have a way of getting on the same page and creating a unified plan. And that's the meetings. And so this is what we want to have with our children have regular meetings we have couples meetings family meetings and individual mentor meetings in the teaching self-government program and i highly recommend using those meetings in your family because they motivate everybody forward they unify they help us improve the way we explain things the way that we ask for help explain our needs i mean it just goes to deeper levels of communication it's really so valuable okay so do number three is role play possible social situations and how to handle them while staying true to who they are so you know try to think, okay, so now here you are, we've been through all of this, what type of social situations might we find ourselves in that maybe we have a different opinion than somebody else? And what do we do about that, right? How do we handle it? Maybe sometimes the very best answer is say nothing because there's a time and a place for everything and sometimes it's not the time and place, right? But then sometimes maybe the, the answer is, well, I need to explain myself and I'm going to do it in a disagree appropriately way so that I show kindness and concern and understanding, even though I know everybody may not agree with me fully at the end. So this is a powerful way to prepare the children to be able to navigate so many of the things that they are going to be facing. So we want children who are strong and not just little, you know, I don't know, social puppets, I guess we could say, right? Like we live in a time where there's so many messages that are out there for the family and for children, especially, I mean, children are targeted, like heavily, heavily targeted. I mean, do you realize the amount of money that gets put into the grooming and the processing of children. So much. It is huge. The advertising that is now geared toward the children, the programs that have been engineered to speak to the children, the psychology that has been pushed at parents to help them let go more of what is being taught to their children and turn that over to somebody else. So, I mean, we really need to be careful because every society where they have taken over the society has started by taking over the children you know there there are places right now 
that are trying to bring in um, all this kinds of civics education and stuff like that for children ages birth to age five. That literally is replacing the parents because parents, especially up until age five in recent years with public education, but prior to the last hundred years or so ago, I mean, the parents were the primary source for, you know, everything, but and after, way after age five, but but right now, at least in the last hundred years, at least the parents have been able to form the basics of what's right and wrong, good and bad, true and false, starting when they were little birth to age five so that they would have a good foundation. But now there are pushes for people to come in and socially train children when they are that tiny, when they don't even have the full capability to understand the history of the world to fully discern so parents, I am glad that you have listened to this thing the whole way through. There is a write-up that's got some notes for you that can help you be able to follow through with this a little bit more. Um, so be sure to take a look at that. But this is a really important topic because we absolutely have to maintain primary influence in our child's lives. If not, some other being or thing will end up taking over primary influence and then that's when we lose the hearts of our children and that's when we end up with war in our families and our children end up feeling lost alone depressed scared anxious you know all these are the things that are just right there at the door knocking them down so you know um this podcast is long the longest podcast we have ever done. We're going to call it Epic Long. Ever. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this is Epic Long Podcast. Um, but I did it because of special requests from some people I really uh, revere who are really trying to help families and children. And I feel like this podcast is hopefully going to present some principles and, and maybe provide some thoughts that parents might need. So go through these lessons, take the time you need and make sure that you stand out and speak up to your children so that they will do the same in the world and they can hold their heads high and go through life with confidence, even if things around them do not match their morals and values, because I can almost guarantee you every person is going to have that experience. Thank you so much for joining us on this Teaching Self-Government podcast. If you would like to find more about teaching self-government, about the courses, books, or things that we've talked about, be sure to go to teachingselfgovernment.com because you can find a whole lot more there. We will talk to you again next time. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. For more information and resources to help unite your family, visit teachingselfgovernment.com.